Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Wrap. I am Bela Seabrow. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. We just completed a whirlwind month of Jewish holidays, and I hope it was meaningful for everyone. Holidays can be wonderful when spent with loved ones, and holidays can sometimes, unfortunately, be contentious too when families are at odds with one another. Today's show, we will, be deal- we will be dealing and talking about when married couples are at odds with each other and they get divorced. We know that when couples are walking down the aisle to get married, they are not contemplating divorce at that moment. Nobody, or at least we want to believe, that nobody gets married with the intention to get divorced. But in life, things happen. Divorce happens. And when there are children, it makes it that much more tragic. They are the innocent parties, and they suffer the most being the product of a fractured family. With us today to discuss the increase in divorces is Jacob Rubenstein, former J.P. Morgan data protection attorney, currently founder of Rubenstein Law Firm, PLLC, a family law firm, and he's a widowed father of three girls, aged 14, 11, and 7. Jacob, welcome to The Definitive Wrap. Thank you so much for having me, Bela, and thank you for all you do for the cloud in general and the dating space and otherwise. It's really just amazing how much you've done for the Tuber. So on behalf of all of us, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you. What would you say, uh, if you had to guess, the number one reason that Jewish couples get divorced as opposed to secular couples? And it's not just a guess, just in, in your in your work. Sure. So, you know, it, it's certainly a question I can't answer. You know, all I can really answer are the cases that are coming through my door. Um, and unfortunately, I would say more than 50%, maybe even more than that, um, have to do with, you know, one of the spouses or sometimes even both of the spouses being unfaithful. Uh, that's a very common thing that we see um, in terms of, you know, I don't know what the other practices are seeing a deal from clients, but that to me is the most common cause I see in my practice. Would you say it's really 50% in the secular world, the general world, um, they say that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Would you say the same 50% applies to uh, Jewish couples as well? I I don't think it's that high at all. You know, just looking around the community and and meeting people and and seeing who comes through our doors and, you know, talking to my colleagues, I definitely think, you know, at least in the firm community, it's less than that. I would say probably more around... 25 to 30 percent. So you would say that 25 to 30 percent of marriages end in divorce? So, so- I, I mean, I think that number is partially inflated also because you have people that have two divorces or three divorces. When you look at that number, right, I would think that it's inflated because of that. I don't think every marriage, you know, but I would say that there's probably a divorce rate of 25 to 30 percent. So it's interesting that you're mentioning two divorces, three divorces. Um, and I'm seeing that a lot because I'm also a matchmaker. And so I am coming across uh, a, a, a large amount of people who have had 
multiple marriages, and that was unheard of in in years past. Right. So, so I, I think it's kind of a fascinating phenomenon. I, I think it's very common. Um, I think there are a few reasons for it. First of all, I, I think we all are aware, and I'm sure especially you are aware, based upon what you do for a living, um, of the difficulties of making a second marriage work. There are so many variables, right? You get married at you know 21, 22, 23. I don't want to overgeneralize, right. but you're you know very immature. You're unsophisticated in your thought process, right? So now, so let's say a second marriage. Let's say the couple's usually at least thirty years old. They have a career. They've thought about things more, and now they're coming to the table with you know two, three kids of their own, right? You know, very often they're not living in the same neighborhood. You know, one's from Brooklyn, one's from the Five Towns, one's from the Five Towns, one's from you know Lakewood, one's from the Five Towns, one's from London. You know, mm-hmm. and there's all sorts of possibilities. Uh, and then you know, Hashkafa at that point is also more defined, so it's harder to line things up. So there's so much that goes into trying to meld a second marriage. And there's also, unfortunately, you know, assuming, you know, unfortunately, Bailey, you and I are part of the same, you know, um, very sad group, very difficult group to be a part of, which is, you know, being widowed. Um, but most of these people are coming at this with a divorce, right? So when, when somebody's been through a negative experience in that regard, there's a certain amount of distrust that comes along with it, right? So you have all these different variables happening. And at the same time, you have people that rush into marriages because they want to remove their pain. Or they want to, quote unquote, and this sounds so childish to say, but I have to say it because I see it so often, they want to beat their spouse to the chuppah. They want to beat their spouse to the altar. So, yeah. So I, and there's like almost like this race, like, well, if I get married first and I'm, quote unquote, not the one who has mental health issues or I'm the one who's a more functional person, but then, you know, very often it leads them into a road that's just not where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, another Another thing that I see happen very often, and this is not only from, you know, um, my role as a divorce attorney, but also just from being out there as a second time single, people get divorced, you know, in their first marriage and they experience one issue, right? So let's say, uh, let, let's say we're taking a girl, for example, and her, her first ex-husband's a kasan, he's a lot of anger. So second time around, the only thing she's worried about is that the guy should not be an angry individual, but there's 25, 30 other things that could brew and he's not considering and she's not considering that. Right, right. She's trying to right the wrong. He or she is trying to right the wrong of the first marriage. Or sometimes right. they, they repeat the same mistake. Do you do you find that also? That that's also it's so interesting to see how many people They want to fix. They couldn't fix it the first time around. So they they'll marry a similar individual, but this one they're gonna fix. Right. It, it, it's so interesting and you know, sometimes people make a mistake, but sometimes people are just, you know, deeply attracted to a certain type. Yeah. They don't realize it. So, you know, the first time they really married who they're interested in, but, you know, their issues blew up the marriage. So then they do the same thing again. And whether they stick out the marriage or not, they're exactly in the same hot water because they never really faced what made the first marriage fall apart. They never saw their own part in it. Mm. Yeah. And so that explains the second uh, failed marriage, but We've got in, in the Jewish community, we have three divorces, four divorces, and it's not uncommon. It's, it happens very frequently. It's, I mean, first of all, it's so disheartening. It's so, you know, so upsetting to see. And a, as you mentioned, to echo the point you made earlier, when there are children involved who are being shopped from marriage to marriage to marriage, you know, it's beyond just like what the parents are going through, but these children have been 
all over the place and back. Right, right. Which is so terrible and so difficult. Right, right. And what do you see in your practice um, as the reason for a third divorce? So, or a so fourth divorce? Yeah, so I, I mean, so it's interesting. I, I don't think that a third divorce is all that different. I think also sometimes, and I, I know this is difficult, you know, to say out loud and maybe hurtful for some people to hear, but you have some people that really have certain character flaws that make it very difficult for them to be in a marriage. So they leave their first marriage, you know, they don't deal with it. They leave their second marriage, they don't deal with it. You know, go, going to the example of somebody that's a cousin, like sticking with that same example, someone's very angry, it's very difficult to live with them. Of course. Right? If somebody's not faithful, it's very difficult to live with them. These things don't get corrected, right? And then it just, it doesn't matter how many marriages, the only question really is how many people are willing to try and invest and marry them again after three divorces or four divorces. Oh, you'd be be surprised. I mean, you'd be surprised. I mean, it it would seem like they would be rejected, but they're not necessarily, you know, they're they finished their third divorce, fourth divorce, fifth divorce, whatever it may be. And, you know, they find somebody else. Not everyone, but it, it doesn't seem to stand in every in every person's way. Um, it, 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 it depends on many other factors as well. And I think be, it, because it's so common that um, it's normalized. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Would you say that in most cases, um, custody, when not 50-50, uh, the child or children go with a mother in a full custody situation? Yeah, I, I think the vast majority of cases, the mother is the predominant parent in terms of, you know, child rearing, having the children the majority of the time, which I think makes sense, right? I mean, a lot of times, you know, you yourself are a mother, you can relate to this. Mothers, you know, have certain natural innate skills that make them a much more talented and understanding caregiver. Um, but, you know, not, not all situations are alike. You know, I've certainly seen situations where the father has full custody, the father has majority custody, um, you know, no two divorces, no two divorces are, are like that for sure. Right. Yeah. So in what instances would a mother not be granted full custody? Sure. Um, you know, so, I mean, I had one case where the mother was institutionalized you know, and she'd been in and out of a mental institution. So of course, and the father was a, a pretty together guy. It happens. The mother was my client. Um, but in dealing with her, I saw she really, she was a good person. She meant well, but there were certain things like, you know what they say, like they call faulty mental wiring. There were certain parts of just like how the, how she thought and how she operated that just were not really um, consistent. Right. She'd have these extreme ups, these extreme downs. Uh, she'd have these crazy, like, hallucinations, you know, I don't want to go too much into it, but, um, you know, so that's a situation where it comes up. Um, if the mother's abusive, if the mother just doesn't want to care for the children, um, you know, and there have been situations also where the mother doesn't want the children. Um, you know, one of my colleagues had a case where the mother decided she didn't want to be religious anymore and she was going to leave the community. And at that point, she basically said, look, you know, you're going to, you're going to have the children at this point, you'll raise them and, you know, I'll see them every so often. But, you know, she probably sees her kids five, six times a year you know, at this point. Wow. Yeah. How dreadful for the children. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do the courts deal with parental alienation? We're hearing so much about that today. You know, it, it could have been, it could have been around years ago, but I don't, I'm, I'm finding that I'm hearing 
more about it today. It seems that it's more prevalent nowadays. So how do the courts deal with parental alienation? So um, I'm going to use the first part of your statement to kind of answer your question. The reason you're hearing so much about parental alienation is because I think like anything else, the courts aren't dealing with it. So for example, right? No, people don't talk about child support as much because there's a standard formula. People have the formula. Sometimes, you know, whoever's paying, whether it's a husband or the wife, they don't pay child support. And then there's certain, you know, measures in the court system to deal with it. When it comes to parental alienation, right? Let's take the scenario where the mom is the primary caregiver, right? right? And, and she has the kids all the time. And she's basically poisoned them repeatedly to the extent where they really, truly believe in their hearts that their father is, you know, the second coming of, of love on or home on or something like that, Right. And then, you know, one of the saving graces in any custody battle is supposed to be what's called, you know, the attorney for the child, right? It's supposed to be, a, you know, an objective third party who's just there for the children and supposed to come in and say, listen, the children's needs aren't being met. But if the children get these messages five, six days a week, the father has no way at that point, or the mother, if it's, you know, the mother's the one who doesn't have custody, has no way of kind of weaving into that because the children have been so badly poisoned and the courts have no way to address it because they can't put their finger on when it's happening. There's no evidence. So nice. it's it's really something that has to be dealt with. Um, but I don't think anyone has a very clear solution as to how to address it. I mean, it's just really unfortunate what's going on. You have people that have nothing to do with their children for no apparent reason. Yeah. So. I'm curious, how does the court determine um, when there is actual alienation and not the child or children's decision to avoid the parent that is being alienated? And I'll tell you why I'm asking that question, because, um, you know, I know people who have said to me that um, uh, they have adult children who want nothing to do with them. Their children could be married. And they were alienated. They were alienated from their children when their children were young. But now as adults, the children still want nothing to do with them. So it kind of makes me wonder, were they actually alienated from the children or was it the children who didn't want anything to do with the parents? So where does the court come in? How does the court determine what's really going on? So, I mean, the first thing I'm going to say here is, even if there is alienation that's detectable, Usually once the children turn 14, maybe in some courts 15, the judges are just going to wash their hands away and say, listen, they're old enough to make their own decisions. We don't want to get involved. Uh-huh. Right. So the court really doesn't like try to delve into what exactly is happening. And I, I think in those situations, there's no way to know. Right. So when they get to, let's say they're, they're 33 years old, they don't want to talk to their mom. They don't want to talk to their dad. Right. And there's because plenty of that going on. There's plenty of it going on. Yeah. Right. And I think the question is, is it because they've like basically what you're, you know, what you're asking here is it because they've heard the same message so many times that like, you know, it's not just local Hector to come like their new reality, or is there really something about the parent that the parent can't face and the parents then going out and telling the world that it's alienation, right, you know? Right. It's really hard to know what's, what's, what's going on behind closed doors. Right. You and know, so- What's the solution in, in, in the case in the case where um, a parent is being alienated and it's a good good person, but they're being poisoned? What so, what could so they do? What I think is there any recourse? To today, no. Today, there's no recourse. 
Uh, you know, it won't stop people from bringing cases, but there really is no recourse. Um, what I think needs to be done, and it is so, like, it's so much of an atypical judicial solution, which is to look beyond, you know, the parents and the children. What are both sides of the family saying? What are the neighbors saying? What are the community leaders saying? To get some of those affidavits or witness statements to have a better picture of what's going on. Not that anyone knows what's going on behind the closed doors of anyone's home. Right. We could never know that. Right. We're never going to come to a point where we're God forbid. Yeah, I was going to say, how would the neighbors know what really goes on behind closed doors? You know, it, it's difficult to know what goes on behind anyone's closed doors. You know, people, no, but, but if you have one way on the outside and it's different on the inside. Of course. Of course. But, you know, I think people that are, you know, see the kids being dropped off to school, uh-huh. see who takes out the garbage. Right. Right. See how they communicate with the neighbors like, they're, you know, family, extended family, you're going to have some idea. But it's very difficult to ever get to the bottom of that. Right, right. Um, and yeah, I mean, today, there, there's definitely no clean solution, that's for sure. Um, but like, I definitely thought about this issue. And to me, that's like the only thing that I could think of um, is to really bring in outside parties. But can can the court force that alienation not 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 take place? Not really, because alienations really beyond the court's jurisdiction. Like how are they going to know what's happening at the dinner table? You know, that's what makes it so hard. Right. Right. Typically, uh, how much does a divorce cost in New York? Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't be asking a lawyer that question. (laughs) Um, So, I, I mean, there's no good answer to that. I mean, you know, um, there's really two options, right? You can either use someone like myself, you know, like a, a small firm, and you're looking at between three fifty to five hundred dollars an hour. Um, and then, you know, if you're using a bigger firm, you can look times, at times times how many hours, right? So fifteen hundred hours. So um, I I would say that on average, you know, a divorce that's you know contentious but not brutal, you're probably looking at you know twenty to thirty thousand dollars if they're more or less in a good place. But there are divorces that cost $500,000. The biggest determinant is going to be how well the couple can kind of get along with each other and, you know, have hopes to close this out. Right. I I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but couples that have no, that have very little money, and I would imagine they wouldn't fight as much, correct? Because what are they fighting with? They can't pay the attorney. I, I mean, yes and no. Yes and no. First of all, I mean, what one of the greatest struggles a lot of attorneys have, it, you know, especially in the divorce space, is getting paid. It's not easy. It happens a lot. Right. Um, but the other thing is you have people that are so, like, uh, pig-headed and so stubborn that they want to just keep this going forever that they'll they'll beg, borrow, and steal. They'll ask their, you know, they'll ask everyone they know. They'll ask their boss. They'll ask their neighbors. Their, you know, whoever might have money in their community. Right, as though it's like a major tzarech that needs to keep fighting and going on. Wow. We'll get money from whoever's willing to give it to them. Wow, it's terrible. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing um, as a matchmaker, I'm seeing uh, lots of middle aged divorced clients who are seeking remarriage. Middle aged, we're talking about fifty, six. I don't know. Middle age is different today than it was years ago. But sure. today, <laughs> people, you know, years ago, if somebody was forty, they were considered considered middle age. Today, it's uh, you know older, fifties and sixties, and I'm I'm seeing a lot of that. Uh, Jacob, in your practice, are you finding divorces in the middle age group? Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, a, a lot more than I ever would have expected. Right. That's what I'm seeing with, too. Yeah. To be dealing with my practice. Um, I had a case, I don't know if it was a year ago or two years ago, uh, with a couple have been married 50 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. And why would they, you know, they wait 50 years to be married and then to get divorced? It, you know, so it's interesting. So it, it wasn't a Jewish, it wasn't a Jewish couple. Okay. Um, I represented the wife. She said she was outside in December, you know, it was about to snow. So she was cleaning out her car and, you know, a process server walks up to her and says, you know, are you Mrs. McDonald? And she says, obviously not her name, but are you Mrs. Right. McDonald? She says, sure. Right. And uh, basically process server hands her the document. Husband never had a conversation with her, never told her he was even like remotely unhappy. And it was like two, three months before their 50th anniversary. So she called. She was just like, served with papers and did not expect it. Like they had breakfast that morning. Like it was totally normal. And then, you know, basically what happened was she called him and she's like, I don't understand what's happening. She thought it was some some sort of a joke. Yeah. And she basically, and he basically said to her, I haven't been happy for 49 years. I was never going to let it get to 50. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't happy for 49 years. Right. He has breakfast with his wife. And she yeah. later gets served with divorce papers. Can you imagine? Uh, yeah, something like that I would see in the movies. It, it, it's mind-boggling. It was crazy. What was interesting about it, though, was he was a very wealthy guy. And first of all, all of the kids sided with her. Like a lot of the calls that I had, the kids would come on the calls, you know, as well. Uh, they were all on her side. And when it came to the divorce, and I started talking to the other attorney just to see, like, how this was going to go because there's all this money involved. They basically said, like, he's willing to give her whatever she wants. Like, he's not looking to fight with her. He just wants us to be over whatever properties he wants, whatever, you know, vehicles she wants, whatever, you know, whatever money she's looking for, whatever retirement plans. Like, she can have it all. I'm not looking for anything. I just want a divorce. I couldn't believe it. It was actually a very, it was a very easy case. Yeah, well, if nobody's fighting, you know, yeah, then right. it, it makes it easy. Right. But... I mean, so that that must be very unusual. I mean, how many people go through 49 years and then wait, wait not to get to the 50th year and get divorced? But in other situations, what would you say is is, is the cause for the increase in middle age divorces? So it's a good question. Um, so I think it's not so different than, you know, the, the uptick we've seen divorces amongst, you know, younger people. Which is really just like, I think people are, number one, like you said earlier, it's been normalized, right? Um, Number two, people are exposed to so much at this point, whether it's TV, social media, they see all these super happy couples, right? And they say, I want something else. I want something more. I want something different. Ah. Yeah. So it's the kid in the candy store kind of thing. Exactly. They're married to the same person day in, day out, and they're looking on social media and they're like, hmm, I bet I can get something better. Would you, would you think that, would you say that that's, that's the case? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I think that people have also gotten, and I see this not only like in marriages, but also socially as well, people have gotten significantly less tolerant. Right. 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 So as the world as a whole, Yes, yeah. that's very true. Years ago, people would remain in abusive marriages. Now, if you right. just look at your spouse the wrong way, that's it. It's over. Goodbye. Or even in dating relationships, people are just what they just get out of it very quickly because they assume there'll be somebody else 
right around the corner waiting for them. Right. I have four of the resumes in my email box. So why should I waste my time with her? Let me see the other first. Maybe worst case scenario, I'll come back to this. Right. 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 I'm yeah. sure you see that all the time. Right. So I guess the the the, the concept that there's always somebody else uh, waiting. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, but I've had a few cases where um, in, in middle-aged divorces where the spouse who wants out wants back in down the line. Really? Yes. They've reached wow. out to me. And, and in one particular case, I was able to get the couple back together and they no remarried. Way. But that's only one case. Um, right. Typically, that doesn't happen because the one who wants out really wants out and it gets so bad that um, the other the other spouse doesn't want doesn't want them back again, you know. Right. Which makes I guess it makes sense, you know. That that at that point they're just so turned off. Um. So when when things like that happen, then then you know that the marriage could not have been that bad. E- either that, or or they just couldn't find anyone else, or the loneliness brought them back together. So I really don't know. <laughs> um, but it, it's just very, very sad. Um, would you say that COVID had an effect on the divorce rate? Whether young, old, middle-aged, doesn't matter. So it, it was very interesting. When COVID started, right, so COVID was March of 2020. I'd say around May of 2020, June of 2020, my phone started to ring off the hook, right? Constantly, day and night, my phone was ringing. But a lot of these, I couples, guess they were in each other's face. Right? It's like, <laughs> get me out of this marriage. I can't look at this person anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think that was a lot of it. I think the other thing is also just to note, um, one of the major stressors going back to something we discussed earlier in any marriage is finances. Right. So you have a couple that's happy forever. Husband's making X amount of money per year. All of a sudden he loses his job couples on each other's necks and eventually, right, the whole thing falls apart. So in COVID, a lot of people had at least one or both spouses were furloughed. So that was a big stressor on the marriage. But then yeah. when we just start discussing what it would cost to get divorced, they're like, wait a minute, like maybe, <laughs> maybe things aren't as bad as they thought they were. And we'll see. Right. Well, you know? yeah. So yeah, we saw a lot of that. But then, you know, once people started getting back to work, um, I would say around December 2021, I'm sorry, December 2020, January 2021, around that time, there was a huge spike, at least in my practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like coming out from everywhere. Do you find um, that people start divorce proceedings and then they have second thoughts and they decide, you know, you know, we'll give it another shot, we'll go for therapy, we'll make it work, or, or once they start, they see it through to the end? I'm going to say I probably see that in one out of a hundred cases, if I had to guess that people reconsider and say, you know what, like, this doesn't make any sense. We're going to work things out. Right. I'm sure it happens, but. So the reason for divorces, I mean, there are different reasons that people get divorced, but would you say that uh, in the Jewish communities, um, they're for the same reasons as the secular world? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty similar other than the stressor of, religion, which comes up sometimes, right? Where, where one spouse goes to the right or one spouse goes to the left or, you know, where both spouses want to change, you know, something of that nature. We probably see that in our community more than we see that in the secular world. But other than that, in terms of, you know, 
finances or, you know, God forbid, you know, violence or animosity. Um, it, it happens to be, I think that communication is a huge one. Communication is also a major issue. Uh, and I think that's, that's pretty communal. I think no matter where you are, um, you know, you're seeing those kinds of issues. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, there, there's, I, I think that most relationships fail because of miscommunication anyway. And right. it wouldn't surprise me that in a, in, a, in a marriage, that would be the situation as well. But um, you, when you said, you, I mean, violence, that do you see a lot of that? Do you see domestic abuse as, uh, as a cause of divorce? So in my practice, and I, I don't want to generalize it all, in my practice, I see a lot more in the secular world than I do in the Orthodox world. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of secular cases where I'm seeing, you know, violence in the home. And by the way, not just male to female, I've seen female to male as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course, it works both ways. Yes. A hundred percent. You know, it's di- usually different forms of violence, weren't the female to the male. Um, but, you know, certainly in that regard, I've seen it in the firm community also, but to a much you know, smaller degree. So you're seeing less of that. Yeah. And what about infidelity? Is does that is that an issue also? Or are you or you're not you're not seeing that so much in the Jewish community? So and I also don't want to, you know, overgeneralize, but what but I am seeing a decent amount of infidelity and divorces in the firm community. Um what I do think is is that and, and again I don't want to overgeneralize, but just you know, working with, you know, professionals and the press, you know, obviously I was at JP Morgan for a while. Um, so, you know, making friendships with those that are, you know, not necessarily from the faith. Um, I think that in those societies, you know, cheating or infidelity is not nearly as big a deal as it is in the front community. I think So there's less of it. I, I mean, I don't necessarily know if there's less of it, but I think, you know, in, in the secular community, it's more like, hey, I only cheated one time, let's work it out. We're in the firm community. That's usually not the case, for what I've seen, anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's certainly uh, refreshing. Yeah, I, I think so too. I and so too. right now, now that we're post COVID, or uh, we never know if we are post COVID, <laughs> <laughs> are you are you seeing a, a decrease in divorces? I probably am seeing less than I saw at the height of like when I think like you know early twenty twenty one. Right. But it's still it's still pretty hectic. There's still a lot coming in. Yeah. So so it's still going up. The statistics are, are still going up. Yeah. Yeah, still a lot still a lot of people separating and you know getting divorced. Right. Well. Yeah. Well, you know, I I know that's your business, but it's uh you know, it's it's sad and um you know, it, it's nice to see families kept together. Of course, but it's it's just a, a divorce is a part of life, and for those that need it, um, that's where you come in. Yeah, you know, I, I always say that it's kind of like I, I remember speaking to someone once who's in the cure of industry, and you know, him telling me how much he enjoys the work, but his his greatest dream is that one day there won't be a need for it anymore, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody will be religious. So you know, I, I look at it the same way. I, you know, I hope there'll be a time they'll be obsolete. There won't be a need for it, but unfortunately now it's it's very prevalent. Right, right. Yeah. Jacob, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Bill. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's certainly a pleasure. Thank you to Vin News and to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Zebra. 
Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch the definitive rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.